0: So um, I'm not going to go back into 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and discuss all the particulars we did regarding the different, you know, gift uh, in the different aspects of the gift of the spirit and how uh, those things work and apply to our lives. I'll just jump in at verse one where Paul says, pursue love and des- and desire, notice that Gifts is in italics. Desire, spiritual. Okay? It would uh, most accurately read, you know, desire spirituals, plural. Uh, so there is this sense that to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be spiritual and to exhibit the gifts. And, and remember... We talked about the fact that not everyone's going to speak in tongues, not everyone's going to prophesy. This gross imbalance that so many people have experienced within the church leaves people with the mindset that there are more spiritual people amongst us because they exhibit certain spiritual gifts, even even to the point where oh the pastor must be more spiritual because well he preaches every week. Well that's the gift that's given. And I am as much uh, subject to uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and uh, the, uh, you know, um, grace and mercy of God as anyone else. Now, I need to be clear because the church has gotten so messed up. It was messed up at this point, as Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. And there's all kinds of sin in the church and compromise. And people are acting like, ah, it's no big deal, like they are today in the church, and covering it up and just allowing for that. So I'm not I'm not trying to say that, uh, you know, when, when I say, you know, I'm just like you. <laughs> you know, there are a bunch of people within Christianity that are like, well, I'm a total filthy, rotten hypocrite. So like, oh, okay, so we're all hypocrites. Great, you know, is what, you know. There should never be the attitude uh, that allows that type of corruption from the person who's sitting in attendance, professing to be a Christian, all the way up to the pastor. Everybody should have the same sincerity and the filling of the spirit, which results in the spiritual. We today would say gifts. Your your gift Uh, you know, might be hospitality. There is a couple that attends this church regularly, and uh, their gift is hospitality. Um, If I started describing at all what they do with their life and all of their resources, um, some of you would immediately know who I'm talking about. Others of you would then seek them out and embarrass them. Okay, I'm telling you that I just, you know, people who they have loved and taken care of, uh, you know, I tell them, you need to get in contact with these people. They're going to help you out. They have the gift of hospitality. This is what they're all about. And I tell them, they, these people are like hospitality ninjas. They, they are so good at what they do. It's ridiculous. The, the level that they just love people. It is their gift you know, others of us, that's not our gift. <laughs> and, and we shouldn't try to emulate it. You know what I'm saying? You know, people in your home would walk away not blessed. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. I'm just, I'm saying there are those that have certain gifts and those that don't. Find your gift. Find what the Lord is doing in your life. You know, I, I know people that are just super great at encouraging people. Just that, that you just, you can't, you can't like, it, discouragement can't exist in their presence. <laughs> you know, it just, it just evaporates because they want to build people up, encourage people, sharpen people, see the work of the Lord. To find your gift. Find what the Lord is doing in your life. Pursue love. That's definitely going to start for a Christian. That's definitely going to start with a love for the Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Look, if you're sitting here right now and thinking, I'm light years away from that. Don't feel depressed about that. Know that it can be your state of existence. Christ can accomplish that in our lives. Never write it off. The devil wants to do that. He wants to convince us that, Whatever state we're currently in, that's as far as you're ever going to make it. You know, he doesn't care if you're like quite a ways along or you're way down in the failure realm. Wherever you're at, please don't try any harder is his approach. You know, in fact, if you could just like tone it down a notch or two, wherever you are, don't improve, you know, get worse. (laughs) We we don't want to follow that. We want to follow the leading of uh, the Holy Spirit, which sets the bar at perfect. Perfect. And you go, well, never mind. No. The Holy Spirit can dwell in us and create within us what we need. When, When we hear pursue love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Christ can accomplish that. Christ can give you The appetite that you need for those things, for prayer, for time in the word, for fasting, for fellowship, uh, you know, for worship, singing, evangelizing. Christ can give you those appetites. So pursue, right? You got to follow after the thing. You can't just see, oh, well, you know, I just saw somebody blast by me spiritually. You know, they're so good at being a Christian here I was parked in my sorry state and they just flew by and it was totally depressing because they were so impressive you know, get out of your parking spot pursue love go after the things you recognize you recognize in somebody else they're so dedicated you know every time I talk to them they're sharing with me what they heard from the Lord you know that morning in their devotions You know, they're sharing with me what they, you know, learned out of the latest book they read. They just say it's it's annoying. (laughs) Maybe it is annoying. Grab a hold of it. Chase after it yourself. Grow. Start small. You know, set, set the goal where you can. You know, if you recognize, I don't have a devotion life. I don't get up in the morning and pursue the Lord. Get up five minutes early, literally. Just start with five minutes. Make it a full-on commitment that you're not going to ever fail at that five minutes in the Word. It's going to become part of your morning. You're going to get up, you're going to open up the book, and you're going to read a verse, three verses, a paragraph, and you're going to pray, and you're going to start your morning that way. And once you've gotten to the point where you're doing that every day and you can't live without it, well, maybe now you can add to it. Maybe now it's going to become a full half hour. You're gonna, you're gonna get up a half hour early and you're gonna you know split that time between prayer and study of the word. And and before you know it, you're seeing the effects of that in your life. You're seeing the effects of that in your heart and your mind and your attitude. And you go, you know, if, if this is what this yields, maybe more. And let the Lord lead you into greater and pursue. Pursue, okay, now back away from that. Think about the sins you used to pursue right you chased after those did you not did did we not run after them and invest in them and just we were foolish about our approach if if we can go after things that not only didn't satisfy us but but led to a greater and greater and greater dissatisfaction with life right if we can pursue after something like that when it was obvious years ago that this was not going to fulfill us and we just kept on the grind. If we can do that, surely we can start with something small and pursue love. And we've talked about it many times, right? The love of your Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is going to result in loving your neighbor as yourself. It's an outcome when we invest in our relationship with the Lord and our love for the Lord then it results in a love for the people that God puts in our life desire to be spiritual or the spirituals or spiritual gifts but then he says but especially that you may prophesy now listen we've talked about the different uh, you know roles uh, evangelist you know apostle uh, you know prophet teacher pastor uh, you know and we've we've made note of the fact that one is not more significant than the other or you know greater in importance in the order or lists here paul is saying that we should pursue as far as the gifts we would want to acquire so many people want to want to speak in tongues they hear, you know, great things about it, and they're super impressed with the people who can speak in tongues. So surely that must be the supernatural gift that I want. Paul says, no, no, really we, what we want to do is prophesy. And I, I need to give us the definitions again. It's twofold. The first definition of prophecy is foretelling and then forth again, not in order, just those are the two, foretelling and forth-telling. Foretelling can be thought of in the idea of telling something before it happens. You know, Acts, Agabus, the prophet, tells Paul, you're going to be imprisoned. Tells the church there's a famine coming. Tells them before it occurs that it's going to happen. So foretelling telling, forth telling, speaking forth on behalf of God. And that's the one that is the simplest to do with the greatest degree of verification. You know, if somebody comes and tells you, hey, God's told me you should start a marijuana growing operation. We know God hasn't told them that because all that he says about drug addiction and pharmakia and drunkenness and no, God isn't speaking through that person. How do we know? Because we we have the verification of God's word. If someone comes to you and says, hey, during worship, the Lord laid this verse on my heart, and I wanted to just share with you and, and show you some things that I saw in the Word as I was praying for you and thinking about you, God laid this on my heart, and you share the word that's the easiest way to speak on behalf of God. This is what Paul is encouraging. it is to have the strength of spiritual mind and heart to hear from the Lord and speak on behalf of the Lord to people, to foretell them things that the Lord might lay on your heart. You know, I, I, uh, I, it's always a blessing when someone receives uh, foretelling. I, I've had occasion to go to people and say, hey, the Lord's laid it on my heart that these circumstances are in your future, and you should pursue them. You know, don't be afraid to go start that Bible study. To you know, head down to that state and build a church, or you know, to go on this missions trip. You you know, encouraging somebody with those things, and and almost always they immediately confess. I was so worried. I didn't know whether I should. And you know, as they pursue the Lord and follow, then they get to receive those blessings And, and. Having the word come to them beforehand gives them a confidence to to move out into it. Um, You know, most of the time, uh, that does actually serve as warning to go to somebody and say, Hey, the Lord has laid it on my heart that this relationship you're headed into is going to lead to compromise, especially in your relationship with the Lord. So you need to seriously pray about and that's usually where it gets rejected and then they have to pay the consequences and then what has been said to them just sounds like i told you so once the failure has occurred it's a tough thing but it's a necessary thing for us to hear from the lord we shouldn't ever be arrogant about that we, we should be very careful about hearing from the Lord and relaying to others and speaking uh, to others. But here, you know, speaking on behalf of the Lord, foretelling and foretelling that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue, a language, I want to be very clear about that again, not babbles the same word over and over again. The person who speaks in a tongue does now i want you you might want to get your pen out and underline right here notice this does not speak to men but to god now now here here's a thought to think about uh camera's not pointed at you it's pointed at me any have any of us been in pentecostal services and and seen this happen okay all right have have any of us been in the circles where speaking in tongues occurred and then the interpretation of the tongues came and the message that was delivered as the interpretation of the tongue was a message for that congregation, right? Person speaks in tongues. Okay, now wait a minute. Read again what is said here. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Let that sink in. The message spoken in tongues is not to men. It's to God. Go back and read each of the occasions in the scripture where someone speaks in tongues and what you hear is you're familiar with at least Acts chapter 2, and it says they spoke in tongues, and the people who heard, heard them speaking of the wonderful works of God. They're glorifying God. They're praising God. They're speaking to God. Oh, God, you're so great. You're so magnificent. How wonderful the things you have done. They're praising God, the people who speak in tongues. Uh, I, I want to be clear When I've been in those environments, you know, some people say it's all fake. Nah, I've been in those environments, and I've heard things that very much the Holy Spirit was saying to my heart. I've experienced things and understood things that showed me and proved to me, no, the Holy Spirit is here in our midst. I'm experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit in a unique way. But when someone speaks in tongues and then the next person says, I'm interpreting that speaking in tongues, and then what comes out of their mouth is a message for the congregation, I say, according to what I've experienced and what I see written right here in the word of God, is that they're both experiencing the movement of the Holy Spirit. That person, perhaps, is actually speaking in tongues, but the person who then speaks a message to the congregation is not interpreting, they're prophesying. Foretelling or foretelling, they're speaking on behalf of God in the congregation. The church is fascinated with the gift of tongues to a degree that I think is really unhealthy. Really unhealthy. You know, Paul is going to tell us right in this passage, I would much rather speak five words with understanding than thousands that we didn't understand. I've I've been in the Pentecostal circles where everybody is doing those things and then leave when I was in my 20s and... The people who had been prophesying and speaking in tongues are leaving to go fornicate together. Okay, the church at Corinth is being addressed by Paul because they speak in tongues and they prophesy and they have spiritual gifts. And there's a man in their midst who's having sex with his stepmother. So, it isn't to say that in those Pentecostal churches today that it's fake. It's to say the same gross imbalances that were at the church in Corinth are going on in the church today, and the church needs to apply itself to the Word of God, it needs to submit to what's written on these pages and follow what is commanded by the Holy Spirit here rather than obeying the experience. The church has the experience and says, well, it doesn't really matter if it lines up with the word of God because I enjoy the experience so much that now I'm going to make the word of God submit to my experience. For instance, I spoke in tongues over here and then somebody over there said it was interpretation of tongues, but they spoke to the congregation. Now now that we're sitting here in this careful study, What we know and understand, and we're going to see even more detailed, is Paul says if there's no interpretation, let the people that speak in tongues be silent. Be silent until there's an interpretation of the tongues, which, as I said last week, means if you show up tonight and we all speak in tongues but no one interprets, I'm supposed to say no one else should speak in tongues. And if we show up next week and I look around the room and it's all the same faces, I should start the meeting by saying, guys, even as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, let's remember that no one here interprets tongues. So, you know, if you're going to pray in tongues, it should be between you and the Lord. Now, if anybody has a word of prophecy, please share it with the congregation right now. The imbalances as the church just lets things go. No, I, I enjoy this, right? Remember my... Description, like grandson. He just likes to sit and, you know, Raya, when he was little, sit in our kitchen with that copper bottom kettle upside down and just wail on that with a wooden spoon. You know, like a clanging symbol. First Corinthians 13 said, you know, although I speak in tongues and men and angels, but have not love, I become a clanging symbol. I, I enjoy this. It doesn't matter that it contradicts the word of God. I enjoy it. So I'm just going to bang away. And do what? Well, Paul's even going to go as far as to say, unbelievers might come into your midst and see all of that going on go, these guys are crazy. Not serving the cause that the Lord intended. Selfishness. Think about that. Even because many people look at it and go, well, that can't even, that's definitely not even the Holy Spirit. Maybe it is the Holy Spirit working in their lives, but they're not exhibiting any self-control they're just letting loose with let's even just say you know it's debatable but let's even say it's their gift and now they're just going to be a clanging noise in the midst the purpose the motivation must be for the building up of the church that's where we have to start you, you can't just be out of control. And that's, and that's what a lot of the Pentecostal circles, I couldn't help it. Holy Spirit came upon me. I just had to fall down on the floor and writhe and thrash and scream and yell and speak in tongues and do all this. I couldn't help it. We're going to see here as we move along that we're told that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, meaning you should have self-control. Right? Okay, how about this class? The fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? You get the works of the flesh, and then the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What is the one that would most apply to that situation? Self control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self control. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it isn't a loss of control. Oh, I got overwhelmed and I just flipped out and whammo. Right? And that's the way it's described. And what we're being told is that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a greater and greater, stronger and stronger sense of self-control. I think every one of you in this room has actually experienced it, whether you acted upon it or not, where something's running through your mind and you know you should go over there and speak to that person about it. And either you did it or you didn't. And here's the thing, the the thing that would have allowed you to go do it, whether you did it or not, would have been self-control. You saying, I got to go share this, and you go across the room and say, hey, this verse right here, the Lord just spoke to me about you, and I just wanted to share this verse with you. Self-controlling yourself to go do it. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in that specific circumstance the church, think about this if we go through this very careful process of explanation paul is give, giving here right paul is writing to a church that the holy spirit has landed in there's incredible selfishness there's false teachers there and somebody jammed a big blender and it just went and stirred all of that nonsense up The enemy of our souls. And Paul is now writing a series of what we assume is four corrective letters, right? Because in 1 Corinthians, he refers to when he wrote to them previously. And then when we get to 2 Corinthians, he makes reference to things he doesn't address in 1 Corinthians, which weren't addressed in 1 Corinthians regarding. So there must have been four letters of correction. Where he's having to pull apart the pile and say, now you guys should behave that way, and this needs to be over there. Uh, oh, if the church would just carefully go through and listen and learn and conduct itself according to the Word of God, rather than acting like, oh, the church is a roller coaster. It's fantastic. We show up, and the preacher kicks it off, and, you know, before it's done, our hands are in the air, we're all just screaming. That is not how the Holy Spirit functions, you guys. Nowhere in what we see described in the Scripture is that endorsed. Apparently, it's part of what was going on here at the Church of Corinth, and Paul has to correct it. So why does the church that's still conducting itself that way today just take this and, like, disregard it? Got to slow down. Listen. I'll even, I won't even argue. You want to say those Pentecostal churches that behave that way? And one more time, we're a Pentecostal church. Those Pentecostal churches that behave that way, you want to say that's they're all filled with the Holy Spirit? Okay, I won't even argue with that. But how about following the directions here? That by the end of this, Paul says, so do not forbid to speak in tongues, but let everything be done. Let everything be done. Right? So he doesn't say, uh, now, don't forbid to speak in tongues, but do forbid these other activities. He doesn't say that. He says, let everything be done decently and in order. These are important directions for the church to study, learn, and understand. And if these gifts are going to be exhibited in a congregation of Spirit filled believing Christians, then there are some specific outlines right here as to how people should conduct themselves in those services. So, back to this explanation He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. How in, however, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. <clears throat> But he who prophesies speaks edification, building up, and exhortation, explanation, we would say, and comfort to men. Okay, now follow that. Prophecy, right, is to build up, right? It is then the exhortation is to... Increase understanding and then comfort is to cheer up everything that prophecy does in the life of a believer is positive, even when Agabus warns the church in the book of Acts there's a coming famine, right? You would think that the reaction would be like, oh my gosh, like we're all going to die sort of attitude. Instead, what it results in is the church being comforted with the fact that God forewarned us so that we could prepare ourselves for it. And the methods by which they prepared themselves were... Learning to live more simply, right? Not building a bunker and a shelter and storing it full of food. Learning to live more simply and trust God. And others of them actually went as far as when the opportunity came to move because there was already so much persecution, they left the region and didn't experience the famine. Oh, well, Agabus warned us. There's going to be a famine. We're already being persecuted. Our business is being destroyed. No one will do business with us anymore. We're being excommunicated by this community. And now this opportunity has come for us to move and go over to another region. So, you know what? Let's go. This region's going to be experiencing famine anyway. And they left. Jesus prophesies to the church and tells them Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, right? Matthew chapter 24 when he says not one stone will be left upon another here and the disciples come and say when's that going to happen and he goes to you know chapter 24 and 25 great explanation but in particular he says when you see these things happening don't even go back inside the house to get your winter jacket is basically what he's saying just leave just run away all of the christians in jerusalem when they saw the roman invasion coming and they realized oh like this is really going to happen the way jesus said they left immediately crossed the jordan and took shelter on the western side none of them experienced the siege and the death and all the christians survived because they heeded the warning that jesus brought right when when you hear this place is going to be leveled that might cause an initial fear, but right here, Paul says, no, no, prophecy creates comfort for the believer. You know, when, when we're looking around at the madness that's going on in our culture right now, there's a lot of Christians that are like pulling their hair out and running around in circles. No need. God is still in control, right? If you haven't done it yet, go home. And read Psalm 37 again. And let your heart be comforted with the fact that, yeah, wicked men do all kinds of things. And you as a believer don't have to worry one stitch about it. God is still seated on his throne and completely in control. You're his child. Everything's going to be okay. This is what I don't like about the self-proclaimed prophets that come into Christianity and they're like, you got to prepare. The blood moons are on the way, you know, and everybody starts freaking out about, they generate, they thrive on fear themselves and they thrive on generating fear inside the body of Christ, to which I don't even have to sit around and analyze whether what you're saying is going to come true or not, because I can see you're enjoying the fear that you're currently creating. Where's the comfort, man? You know what I'm saying? Where's the building up? Where's the further explanation? The exhortation that we're supposed to be receiving from you. So many people miss the point. The self-declared prophets. This is nobody else has seen this. I've discovered the secret. Buy my book, you know, study my thing. Join my church. Follow me on the internet. Send your donation now. This is what they're all about. Self. Self, not so with those who are truly the prophets. More than anything, pursue prophecy. Why? So that you could build up, so that you could teach, so that you could cheer up the body of Christ. When you start with, oh, that's my positive premise, right? We sometimes get the impression, like, you should desire to be a prophet. Awesome. So I'm going to be angry all the time and hurl lightning bolts. Great. That's that's not what the Lord has called us to. Not within the body of Christ, right? I mean, the message to the sick and dying world out there from the prophets is always the same. Repent, right? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Oh, you're unsaved? Repent. That's a simple message. Anybody can be a prophet. It's very easy, right? Repent. That's what what you tell the the sick and dying world. You don't get in their face and scream at them how they're homosexual baby killers and you get all kinds of vile and evil things to say to them. They're blind, right? Do you mock the blind man because he's running into lampposts? Or do you feel terrible for him that nobody's guiding him? I mean, what kind of creep are we as Christians if, if we're going out and condemning people that are slamming headlong into sin? Of course they are. <laughs> They're blind, these poor souls. Right. We we need to you know come alongside them, and, and you know how how much does the blind man have to do with gaining sight? I I mean. What we need to do is come alongside the blind man and beckon to our master. Right? Son of David, come over here and heal this one. And, and if and when the Lord does, go find the next blind guy and say, Oh, Heavenly Father, please come and touch this one. And the next leper, right? And the next healing. You know, repent. That's our call. Turn around. Go the other direction. You're You're headed the wrong way. Who who does John the Baptist rebuke openly? Who does Isaiah rebuke openly? Who does Jesus rebuke openly? Religious hypocrites, false teachers. That's who he blasts. That's who they blast. The, The sinner, the Lord's always brokenhearted upon finding them. The prophets weep over those that should be repentant, those that should come to the Lord. Uh, the that are the, the the prophets here they they speak edification exhortation and comfort to men he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself ah uh, here we go again further explanation of how tongues works edify you can just insert that phrase builds up every time edifies right he who speaks in the tongue edifies himself this is what i was saying about even if you do not understand what you're praying, the child of God internally is communicating with the heavenly father in an encrypted way where the flesh, right, that's, that's your worst enemy. Your worst enemy is you. If the child of God inside you is communicating with his heavenly father without your flesh's involvement at all, that's not a bad thing. According to this, it builds that inner man up. Speaking in tongues edifies himself. He who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues. So, so just to be clear, Paul isn't saying tongues is useless. You don't you don't want to do that. But even more that you prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues. Listen, I want to pause right there. The the next portion is equally important, but I want to pause right there. Right? I I wish you had prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues. Because it can be verified whether you are truly a prophet or not. You, You say something that doesn't come true, the church needs to be done listening to you completely. I'll say again, uh, Paul Reynolds, you know, dear friend, attended health, wealth, and prosperity churches in the area uh, for years before he came here. And uh, part of his reason for coming here was the open admission that, you know what, I've been there. For all these, you're looking for the supernatural, and I've come to the conclusion it's not happening there. And he, he was blown away with the simplicity of learning to understand God's word, the simplicity of just being taught God's word. So he began to grow in that, and after he'd grown in it for a long time, his whole life disintegrated around him and was gone as he learned to cling to God's word. He came to me years later and handed me, I've still got them in my office, printouts of prophecies that were prophesied by the pastor and the leadership of those churches that he had been in, and they actually transcribed them. On this date, at this time, this prophecy was given by the apostle so-and-so, reverend so-and-so, over Paul and his family and his wife, and, and then you read the prophecies that follow. Every one of them failed. Like, that's not my speculation. You know, when they are predicting that his marriage would survive and be healed and be restored by the Lord, and it resulted in a horrific divorce and he lost everything in the process... Yeah, false prophecy. H- how about when they're they're prophesying over him? Your marriage is going to survive and be healed and be wonderful and be fruitful, and you should start this process by giving a large financial gift to the pastor. That's 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 transcribed. I'm glad they transcribed it. I'm glad they were numb enough to type that up and give it to him. It's part of the sermon. You speak it in the microphone. It's recorded. And afterwards, they they, they as a church were in the habit of doing this. When the pastor would speak and prophesy to somebody, oh, well, they make note of the time on it and then go back and listen and transcribe it and then give it to the person in print. Because in their mind, that was as accurate as God's word. A prophet has spoken, so record it and give it to the man in print. The same as we have God's word. Yeah, yeah, right, right on the money, do that. That's a, that's a, no, that's a good idea. That is a very good idea. You know, somebody comes to you and says, thus says the Lord. Yeah, one moment, let me get a pen and paper. Because if you're going to prophesy over me, then it better come true. That, that, that actually should stand as a warning, right? If you're going to stand up and say, I'm a prophet. I'm here speaking on behalf of God. Make sure what comes out of your mouth is extremely accurate. That's why I say safest way to do that is just speak God's word. You, know, you don't even have to like have some weird imagination. Just study God's word. And when God speaks to you, share that with somebody. If the Lord leads you to do that. Scary thing to make false predictions, right? Seek to prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with a tongue. Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. The church will receive edification, but again, it isn't necessarily being said here that that's going to be a message to the church. Because according to these two previous definitions, one is... You're not speaking to man, you're speaking to God, and two, it's for the purpose of internal building up, unless you interpret it and speak it to the church, and then the same thing that built you up will build them up, right? I mean, we can say right now, of the current circumstances we're in as a nation, there's nothing to fear. We don't have to fear the election that's coming up. We don't have to fear COVID 19. We don't have to fear economic collapse. We don't have to fear any of it. Because right now we are this much closer to our Lord returning. Right? So, you know, isn't it great when you're at work and you've worked. So hard. And then the boss shows up and says, by the way, you've also got all of this to do. And you're just like, oh, my good grief. Are you kidding? And then you realize, well, I've only got an hour left of the day anyway. So, you know, I'll give my best for the remaining hour, but then I punch out and I go home. So a big load just got dumped on us. A lot of really heavy things are in our environment. But we are in the final hours. There's there's no need for concern right now. That's prophecy to you guys this evening from your pastor. We don't have to fret. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be overwhelmed. We can trust the Scripture, trust the Lord. That's the sort of thing that needs to happen within the church unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. 6 and 7, we'll go a few more minutes. Verse 6, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge, by prophesying or by teaching? Just so we're clear, he's not saying the tongues. He's saying, if I speak to you in another language... What good is that unless there's some message in it for you? So he's going to go on to say even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? Okay, Uh, I want to try to give you a weird illustration. Because I think it works, and hopefully you'll follow. Okay, music teacher, right? Okay, we work on a, a seven-note scale, right? Do re mi fa sol la ti do. Um, a lot of Eastern cultures work on a five-note scale. Okay, so when you hear the Islamic prayers being sung from the minarets and it has that sort of strange, broken. <laughs> That's because it's a five-note scale, right? They're not doing do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, but, you know, back to do, right? They're doing a five-note scale. There's a musician that uh, I was enthralled with uh, years ago, a guitarist. His name's Joe Satriani, and Joe is a virtuoso, literally, on the guitar, and uh, he wrote an album, which it's all music, no, no lyrics to it. A bunch of people thought it was Joe trying to be like all psychedelic weird. And the name of the album uh, was I Dream of Blue Turtles, okay? Uh, which adds to the thought that, oh, this is some psychedelic thing. Okay, it actually was not. And I had to have a very accomplished musician explained to me and we sat down and listened to it. And he explained it, He created Joe Satriani created his own 10 note scale. And that also means that the instruments that he plays on have to be redesigned. And because, you know, even when you play the guitar, the, the mechanics of how, the fingerboard is set up, are set up to you go up so many frets and then over so many frets and up, and that's the next in the seventh step of notes. And and so he designs the music around a 10-note scale and then composes an entire album based upon the 10-note scale. Okay, when we're sitting here and we're hearing Paul say, e- even things without life, whether flute or harp, When they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sound, how will it be known what is piped or played? If the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken for you will be speaking into the air? Okay, if you're listening to Joe Satriani's album, written in a 10-note scale, played on 10-note instruments, and you're not a musician. (laughs) Who can listen and and then finally find, oh, we're we're functioning in a 10-note progression? How's that ever going to make sense to you, right? It's, It's only the extremely accomplished musician that goes, wow, now there's a genius to that right? It it only blesses them, right? And then in the end, when I listen to it, I don't even know how much it blesses them. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's confusion. It's chaos, right? How about this? The girls are up here playing together Sunday morning, one guitar slightly out of tune, and you're just like, "Mm, something's not right, Right? And, and, and in the song, Abigail's trying to bring that note into conformity. And finally, when the song's done, just says, excuse me, and turns on the tuner and sets the thing. Because it's just out of sync enough with what we know should be right. Our mind is very accustomed to seven-note progression. And you're not in tune with the seven-note progra- progression, you know. Speaking in tongues in the church, unless it does affect me in a positive way, what good is it? What good does it do? Oh, I can speak in tongues. Watch me speak in tongues. I will never forget watching two evangelists on television try to outdo one another With their speaking in tongues, I I was so embarrassed as a young man. I literally was like nervously flailing around in the room looking for like, I got to leave. I can't listen to this. It was disgusting that that I here. I just I'm going to speak in tongues. And the other guy, I'll speak in tongues. And you know, I'll speak louder and longer. No, and, now, and they're literally face to face, shouting in tongues back and forth. Just right, I can see the discomfort it's creating in you by me even describing the fact that that happened. The root of the thing is, you know, the Holy Spirit's not doing that. That's you sitting there right now, going, "Why would the Holy Spirit argue with Himself?" Right? <laughs> that makes no sense. Why would the Holy Spirit out try to perform himself? That's just weird, right? I mean, if I'm sitting here right now and I'm speaking and I decide I'm going to be louder than me, what? And now I raise my voice and I, and you know what? And I'll, I mean, pretty quickly, you're going to want to leave the room because Will's losing his mind. The Holy Spirit is one person. If the Holy Spirit's speaking through one who's, let's just say, Speaking in tongues. Why would the Holy Spirit then try to outperform the Holy Spirit who speaks? This is not of the Lord. You know? Uh, I mean, at that point, I would just have to say, this isn't the Holy Spirit that's doing this. You know, how can it be that you have the basic, Paul is saying, you have the basic understanding that there's going to be a consistency with what you already know without question. Okay, you don't know speaking in tongues. You don't know foreign languages. Okay, but there's going to be a consistency in what you do know of the character of the Holy Spirit with what you experience in that. Now I'll jump all the way back to Jesus saying when you pray, Do not be like the heathens, the unbelievers, who pray with vain repetition, empty repetition, thinking that they will be heard because of their many words. Okay, if Jesus says that there, then why would the Holy Spirit then show up and just start a process of people saying the same two or three words over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again. There's an inconsistency in the sound. Think about that. Paul could have had given any different number of illustrations, and Paul is literally saying there's an inconsistency in the sound. Between the character of Jesus Christ, which is the character of the Heavenly Father, which is the character of the Holy Spirit, and what you are experiencing in your churches. Tongues is dialecta, spoken language. It is not... The same repetitive phrase making a noise over and over again. It's empty, vain, vain, right? How about, how about the selfishness of look at me, vain, repetition? Look at me, I speak in tongues. Look at me. Oh, you don't speak in tongues? Well, just say Shandamakai, right? Come on, I've been in those services. Say it with me now. You know, please don't. Right? But that's, they're literally, say Shandamakai, do it now. Say it again. Say it again, you know. I'll never forget being in a grade school Bible study and having a teacher in a Pentecostal school trying to teach us how to speak in tongues and saying, now, you guys are all young guys, and and, and so therefore you probably don't get this whole thing we're doing, but um, I'm going to give you, he, he referred to it as a primer phrase like many of us maybe remember priming the pump, right? Pour, pour the, the fluid down inside, and then as the pump gets in, it creates the vacuum and pulls up the rest of the liquid that's in the gas tank or in the well. You've got to prime the pump by pouring the, the fuel down in until it picks up through vacuum, and there you've primed the pump. So I'm going to give you a primer phrase that you guys will like. Yeah, just say, I'm a Honda Motorcycle. Okay, say it again. Okay, now say it fast with me over and over again. Until guys break out. You say a phrase like that, right? It doesn't matter, right? You you pick the phrase, go home, get two or three words, put them close together. Say that same phrase over and over and over again, and you'll lose track of where you are, and your tongue will stumble over itself, and before you are, you're babbling. In an empty vein. No, no. Did you ever stay up until 3 o'clock in the morning with your friends and drink too much soda when you were a kid and you're all in hysterics because of what some knuckles had just babbled and now you're all doing the same thing and everybody just roaring? And Oh, wait, that looks a lot like some of these services, doesn't it? Vain, empty repetition versus speaking in a foreign language that you do not know the glorious works of God so that the people who speak that language hear it in their own tongue and glorify God with you. That's very different. That's very different than what a lot of the church is doing. How much more significant if a person prophesies and speaks just the word of God to the congregation? you know all day long they've been hearing from the lord and everywhere they turn there it is again in the bible and they show up sunday night and somebody out drinking coffee is just oh they're all concerned about covid-19 and how they got to wear masks and how they and you go well you know what the lord has spoken to me all day about that and let me just share with you the passage of scripture that might comfort your heart how much more useful to the body of christ is that message then I'm going to sit over here and say a phrase over and over again that nobody in this room can understand and it doesn't do anything to build you up or bring you comfort or edify you, exhort you. Paul, again, here, even basic musical instruments tell you how to prepare, right? Even the statement, like the the trumpet calls, would tell you how to prepare for battle. They would turn in battle based upon the bugle calls. They would f- advance or retreat or flank or the movements were called out by the trumpet, the bugle call. And it needed to be distinct, right? You don't want to hand the trumpet to somebody who's just taken an arrow to the chest and say, now please blast out the next command. You know what I'm saying? Right. You don't, you don't want to hand somebody living in sin in the congregation the microphone and say why don't you speak in tongues for us why don't you why don't you share on our behalf this is a war we're in right the commands need to be clear they need to be easily recognized you know from your commander you need to understand what is being brought to the uh, body of Christ through the Holy Spirit. So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words, easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, If I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks. And he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Clearly, you want to be something noteworthy within the church based upon your use of Of speaking in tongues, Paul is saying to this church at Corinth. Clearly that's the case. You want to bless the church. He's not mocking them. You want to serve the church. You've got a boldness. You want to share. But you're speaking in tongues and speaking in tongues and speaking in tongues. And you're not building the church up. I pray to God that your motivation would become building the church up. Rather than self-exaltation, becoming noteworthy. Oh, every week, brother will speaks in tongues. Let's go. Let's go to church and watch it. You can guarantee, you know, this or that's going to happen, and they're going to sing, and then and then he'll just burst out and start talking in tongues. You know, again, amongst the youth in the church, it becomes a novelty. Where they just show up to be, oh, look, she just went off. There she goes again. She's, you know, acting like a kook. No edification for the church. The root motivation, and we're going to end right there for this evening's study, but the root motivation, right, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts. Why? For building the church up. Not for your self-exaltation. Not for being of notoriety that it would serve the body of christ start in that place there's more to it i would encourage you to read ahead in chapter 14 there's a lot of information that paul has about how things should be done in the congregation and outside the congregation you know in the unbelieving world versus the believing uh, body of christ and and uh, very particular things as to how to conduct ourselves very clear Uh, directions that Paul gives the church and how to use the gifts. So we'll pray and we'll pick up at uh, verse 13 next week. Father, again, we're very, very grateful for the clarity that you lend to us from the word, from Paul. I pray that you would help us each to seek out your face and understanding uh, with this situation with the gifts. Lord, if you want us to speak in tongues, Lord, as individuals, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts about trusting you and following you. But uh, I think more significantly, Lord, whatever gift uh, you have already given us or you're preparing to give us, help us to just be compliant with that, to wait upon you and to see your work done in our hearts, our minds, and our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.